accessing agent files. Brian Sovereign. Early 21st Century Anarchist. Creator and host of the podcast Sovereign Check. By the year 2021, the show would be instrumental in the downfall of various conservative ideologies in the government, helping usher in an incredible time. Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this. You're in for a wild ride. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, the man in triple black, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now here's Brian. Oh, yes, you can always bet on triple black, baby. Here for you on another great set. Well, whatever day you happen to listen to, of course, it gets released every Saturday. Uh, and boy, I've been pulling that off. It's going to be two years pretty soon that, that I've been making that happen. Uh, maybe it was even longer. Hell, I don't know. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Sovereign Tech, I think the very first episode of Sovereign Tech was released on, was it December 23rd, 2012? That was the day the world was supposed to end. I, I purposely made sure the episode got released then. And, uh, <laughs> well, I'd like to think that I'm bringing on the end of the, no, uh, at least the end of conservatism and society, right? No. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but yes, here for you, the Golden Stallion, ready to go. And of course, I will be at Coins in the Kingdom uh, next week. So I will be pre-recording the episode for next week. So it's not going to be an episode, you know, full, just getting this out in the open. Uh, it will not be an episode, perhaps, that will have all the latest in the news. Uh, I'm going to talk about all kinds of wild things, but I think it's going to be a really great uh, episode and definitely one where I'm going to talk about, like I said, wilder things. Some of my wilder thoughts on next week's Sovereign Tech. So, uh, you know, keep a lookout for that. But I will be giving a talk at Coins in the Kingdom, the dangers of... Uh, reputation and trustless systems. And uh, I've heard from some people that they're really looking forward to it. And uh, I'm looking forward to giving the talk and to meeting lots of people. If you're going to be at Coins in the Kingdom, please don't hesitate to, to you know, say, hey there, Stallion, you know, <laughs> feel free to say hi. Uh, and of course, then I will be going to the Den of Iniquity, that being an Inside Bitcoins conference uh, in Vegas directly after that. So I'm going to miss out on the fun at the Magic Kingdom, which the Magic Kingdom can be genuinely fun. I mean, there's Star Wars, Star Wars rides all over the place. I, I enjoy it. I used to live in Florida. Um, but anyway, so the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I will be making that trip, and you can catch both of us at either of those if you happen to be there. Moving on, let's get into our rapid fire stories. Uh, this is some great news. I know for some, this might be terrible news, but I think this is great news. And that is people statistically, by the percentages, people are sticking by their tried and true apps, be it on Android, iOS, or Windows Phone, or BlackBerry, whatever you happen to be using, people are really sticking to those apps that have been around for a while, for a few years, and that still, of course, get updated. Uh, and I think this is great because that shows a maturity in the market and a maturity, hopefully, in people in that they don't fall for bullshit like, uh, yo, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I think it's awesome because too many, and, and it's not, okay, 
People can make all the apps they want. I don't care. I'm a huge supporter. Come out with your idea. Go for it. That's that's awesome. Okay, but really, the attitude that these people have, that these app makers have, like, are you kidding me? This is the greatest app that anyone's ever built. It says, yo, to whoever you want it to say it to, we are changing the fucking world. I mean, this is the attitude that these people have. Uh, and of course, that attitude eventually, because regardless, you know, statistically, this is just proving more that Silicon Valley is in a serious bubble that's probably going to pop within the next year or two. Uh, you know, but but that's the thing is just that that real crassness and attitude of somehow they're changing the world when what they do, what did they do? They built a fucking app. Good for you. Nice work. You know, and so kudos to the tried and trues to the people that that had some real vision early on uh, and that people are still using your apps and still buying and paying for your apps. Uh, I think that's fantastic. So great news. I am glad that a lot of these, you know, me too apps and a lot of these just nonsense ideas uh, aren't getting any traction. That is that is fantastic. But speaking of a great idea that I think deserves a lot of traction uh, now, last week I mentioned how there's new Kindles that came out, and of course, you know, that includes the e-readers as well as the the tablets, um, but one of the, really one of the better, now I think e-reader technology is just one of the, that's one of the best technologies to ever, you know, hit the pavement. I mean, it's it's fantastic. And one of the best companies out there right now, and I think they're actually doing a better job than Amazon, is Kobo. And they just released... Obviously, to some degree, in response to the Kindle Voyage, which is the new top line e-reader, they released the Kindle or I mean, the I'm sorry, the, <laughs> that's that's market share for you. The Kobo Aura H2O. And yes, that means H2O. That means it's waterproof. And I was just thinking this. I was like, boy, you know, I love how my Kyocera Hydro Vibe is waterproof and practically indestructible. Now I can take pictures uh, while, in fact, I, I posted one of those pictures on the Twitter feed of the lovely and high, well, the downright sexy goddess that Stephanie Murphy is uh, and my oh, yeah, <laughs> and myself uh, hanging out in a oh, my God, if you only knew what I just saw uh, <laughs> uh, in a in a uh, uh, at a waterfall in New Hampshire. Uh, her and I, I posted that on the Twitter feed a little while back, um, you know, and it's so great to just not worry about your devices, you know, that they just they they can get their asses, you know, they can take a lick and, and keep on going, uh, which we're going to talk about some technology that really can't take a lick here. Uh, and so the kit, the Kobo Aura H2, H2O, I think is great. Uh, an e-reader that lets you hang out around poolside. You're not worried about it getting wet or you can go for a nice little swim, get to, you know, go swim out to that island. That's something I when I was a kid, uh, we had a, we had a bit of a, a camp. Well, I'll say a log cabin camp uh, at Old Pasico Lake in upstate New York. And we would go out. There was nice on the lake. There was like these little like rock outcroppings. OK. And so I used to toss, you know, a paperback book into a Ziploc bag and I'd head out, you know, because we're, we're talking like the 80s and, and 90s here. And I'd swim out to that and I'd break out the book and I'd just lay out in the sun and read. And it was, you know, just one of the greatest times of my life, hands down. And so to have that um, and then, you know, to, to now bring pretty much the library of Alexandria with you in the water and not have to toss it into a Ziploc bag, just like, you know, throw it in your in that, you know, big pocket on your swim shorts and head out there. I think that's awesome. 
that that that's fantastic. No worries at all. You just head out there and you're good. Uh, so the Kobo Aura H2O and it, spec wise, it, it's just as good as as the Kindle Voyage. Uh, there's no, there's really no difference. So I think this is the top of the line e-reader and really uh, must buy technology, in my opinion. And it has an SD card in it too. So I mean, shit, you can, <laughs> I mean, you could load thousands upon thousands upon thousands of books, which makes it better than the Voyage too. Uh, anyway, another interesting bit of technology. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be for rapid fire stories here, quick. I'm going to be listing out a, a lot of new ideas that have come out because it's the season for it. Everybody's getting ready for the holiday season, so they want all their new products out for people to get for Christmas. Um, but this is a technology. This is a, a new phone that God, I wish it would come to the states or even to Europe, uh, somewhere that speaks English. I think it would be great. But uh, LG is releasing this, of course, in, in Southeast Asian markets, and it's called the Wine Smart. Okay, and this is this is a KitKat powered Android phone that is a flip phone, you know, that looks like a communicator from the, the original series of Star Trek or like the uh, smart, the, you know, the, not the smartphones, but the phones, the cell phones that we used just a couple of years ago. Uh, this is phenomenal it looks so good and it looks so solid and i'm just like wow you know that actually looks really functional and you know and you're not going to worry about it probably breaking so much that was the nice thing about the clamshell is it was you know it made those phones really so indestructible uh and it has KitKat on it you're getting the best of both worlds you know it has it has the dial up buttons on it and then it can have a touchscreen keyboard as well really slick uh i I thought it was awesome. I, I, like I said, I wish that would come to the U S I'd be all over it. Now. Yes. I know I could buy it on eBay or something, uh, but it really would be quite a bit of hassle. So anyway, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm pleased with the phone I have right now. I'm just saying that I think this is a really cool idea and we might find that taking off really well because people are missing their hardware buttons. And really, I think the world is honestly dying from a lack of hardware buttons. Uh, it's the only thing I don't like about, in fact, I have it in my hand, my ThinkPad Edge uh, E545. I used to love how there was like a hardware button that would turn off the Wi-Fi. Doesn't exist anymore. You know, there's a button I can press that will bring up the, you know, that'll allow me to, to kind of kill it. But there's not like that hard switch that says, okay, boom, Wi-Fi is off, you know, and, and, and it was a literal cutoff. So anyway, but whatever, I'm, I'm just being cranky, I guess. Uh, another great phone though, another, another very interesting phone, interesting technology, uh, that, that I, that I think is really cool. And amazingly, this is getting some serious market share. It's giving the company some serious profitability. And I think for good reason, speaking of hardware buttons, and that is the Blackberry Passport. This is a brand new phone, really high end spec. It's got like a Snapdragon 805. I think it's either an 801 or an 805. Uh, pro, you know, quad core processor in it, tons of power, 32 gig of, uh, you know, onboard storage. And then you can put in an SD card as well. It's got some kind of 30 hour battery life. I mean, just ridiculous battery life. Uh, it, it, all the good stuff. It has the hardware keyboard that everybody kind of loves. And it's this weird, everybody's kind of calling it a pop tart because it, because its shape is like a pop tart where it's more squared off than anything. But uh, but everybody that's reviewed it and looked at it and the videos I've seen, I can agree. If you're going for productivity, like especially doing a lot of emailing from it, it's the perfect phone. You know, 
not for gaming, not for some of the other stuff, but it's really a perfect phone. And BlackBerry, you know, oh, they're, they're, uh, was it BlackBerry 10, 10.3? I think they might be up to now. Maybe it's up to 10.4. Uh, that allows for the Amazon App Store to get, you know, it uses the Amazon App Store. So you can run Android apps on there. And of course, with some, some massaging, I imagine you'd run just about anything on it. Uh, but, this is really cool. And of course, it has that classic BlackBerry security, right? Which, I mean, depending on how you feel about how they dealt with uh, the Indian, with India, the Indian government, uh, that's, you know, that's up to debate. But regardless, it has that classic BlackBerry security. Um, and this is a great looking phone. Really, really gorgeous. It definitely has that I get shit done attitude to it. Uh, and good for BlackBerry. I see. I, I like this. I don't want just one. You know, I know I was reading Peter Thiel's uh, new book, uh, Zero to One, and he's saying he's making this case in it for. Look, no, it's good when there's monopolies. There can be good monopolies. Now it's like bullshit. There's no such thing as good monopolies. That's insane. Uh, so anyway, I like it when there's a bunch of different ecosystems out there. I, you know, uh, platforms. Uh, call it what you will. BlackBerry, Windows Phone, Android, iOS, good. Bring on Ubuntu Phone. Bring on Firefox OS. Bring them all on. I'll, hell, I'm okay if there's 20 of them. That's awesome. I love it. So anyway, I mean, and considering when you have the internet, everything is, you know, is going to get centralized in the end. People are like, well, yeah, but you got to develop all the different apps for blah, 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 blah. It's like, come on, HTML5 solved all that already. Can we give it a rest? Uh, anyway, so BlackBerry Passport, that that's pretty great. So a lot of good products coming out there, but one product that might not be so good, uh, and then we'll get into our main story here, is the iPhone 6. And there is what is being called Bendgate uh, that is uh, that has hit the streets. And that is somebody on YouTube took their iPhone 6 Plus, this is the phablet iPhone, and snapped it in half, more or less. Like, like really easy, apparently. It did not take much strength, and he just... And so the concern is, and there's been at least nine reports, as I understand it, uh, like people are sitting on their phones, and the phone is breaking on them, uh, you know, all of this. And I don't know what happened. I mean, Apple was supposed to be, you know, building these things out of proverbial, or out of, not proverbial, literal, uh, sapphire for the screen, which is supposed to be pretty much indestructible. Uh, that didn't happen. So I don't, I don't know what Apple's doing as, as far as these go, uh, but boy, they're they're in some trouble. I mean, and Samsung's already jumping on on you know on board with this and putting out their usual tactless, albeit in this case very funny advertising, where it says like "Bend before your superior" or something like that, <laughs> and it has you know an iPhone six plus in front of uh, in front of a Galaxy Note, and it's like bent in half. <laughs> it's, you know, like it's bowing before it. Uh, it was really that, that was I got to give him credit. That was clever. Uh, so th that's a real issue. Then, of course, there was the issue of uh, when eight, iOS 8.0.1 or whatever was released. Apparently it was killing the LTE radio and Wi-Fi and a whole bunch of problems. And, and I mean, there's just a, a slew of issues that that occurred with that. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people have asked me, please, will you talk about all this, you know, because there's this big shit going around about how the FBI is freaking out at Apple because they're super securing their phones and all this stuff. Now, I don't know if iOS 8.0.1 was being super secure by pretty much just killing into every radio on the phone. <laughs> I don't know if that was the plan. Uh, but 
Anyway, I will talk about that probably when the iPads come out, which is going to be later in October. Um, I will discuss that whole security thing because it may not be exactly what you think. Uh, I give them credit. They are doing security as good, you know, good for what they are. But to say that somehow they're trying to thwart the NSA or the FBI may not be entirely accurate, but it may be. Well, you know, there's I got a lot more research to do in the fact and I will talk about it uh, in the future. And, you know, uh, but please don't don't mistake me. Google's no better. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm not like playing favorites here saying, woohoo, Android, you know, fuck you, Apple. Uh, it Fuck all of them. <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. Uh, I'm, I'm really not a fanboy on either end, even though at one point uh, I suppose I would have considered myself maybe a, a Google fanboy. And of course, before that, I was an Apple fanboy. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm just trying to be objective. I'll rip on everybody. And in fact, while we're talking about Google, Let's talk about Google. <laughs> and that is, this is, uh, you know, people think that, and I've gotten the emails, I've gotten the tweets that said, Brian, come on. These companies are not planning on taking over the world. You know, the, the, the big stacks companies, uh, you know, Android, micro, or I mean, not Android, you know, uh, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Google, Apple, go down the list. They're not, they're not, they're just companies doing business and we should respect the capitalism because it's so beautiful what they're doing and making the world so bright. Well, I use the word taking over the world, of course, not to be so hyper literal, uh, exactly, but at the same time, we have a report that came out just this week that Google is looking to build its own cities and airports. You sure they don't want to be involved in governance and, you know, being in charge and the like anymore? Let's read this. I've got this from the RT. Uh, of course, the story originally comes from, uh, what is it, the information? It's like this 400, you got to pay $400 a year to get access to this website that does this really great, admittedly, it does great tech news, but uh, uh, I am not hashing out $400 a year for when RT or The Verge or whoever's going to come right out and talk about it anyway, right? Uh, or if you listen to Twit. Um, but here we go. Google 2.0, looking to build cities and airports in the future. Google's self-driving cars could find themselves carrying passengers through cities custom-built by the same company, if the search giant's plans for the future ever come to pass. Not content with investing in state-of-the-art robots and pouring money into alternative energy, Google is reportedly drawing up plans to build model cities and airports, according to a new article in The Information. And that's that site I was telling you about that costs 400 a year. As Google plans for a future where its search engine doesn't compose the bulk of its revenue, the website reports that co company co-founder Larry Page has established a team of workers to explore long-term projects for Google 2.0, including ideas for how to build better cities and more efficient airports. A little over a year ago, Google CEO Larry Page convened his direct reports uh, the company's dozen or so senior vice presidents for a project that would take up to take up two days a week for a couple of months. The information reported about 100 other employees are also taking part in the effort. Since these projects are considered to be even more far off than the work being done by the Google X team, like driverless cars and robotics, 
Plans for city building and the like will be handled by a separate division dubbed Google Y. There are, you know, Google X, Google Y, get it? Uh, there, what's Google Z, Skynet? Uh, <laughs> there are little to no details about what exactly Google wants to do or how it plans to go about these goals. But the UK-based independent reported that company executives are already constructing a private air terminal at San Jose International Airport for their own personal use. Page, meanwhile, has reportedly called into questions uh, Elon Musk's Hyperloop concept, saying improving airport airport efficiency would make air travel more convenient. Uh, Airporn? Yeah. (laughs) I said airporn? Yes. Okay. Sorry. Airporn is something I like to engage in, but... um, But I was talking about an airport. (laughs) Uh, In addition to building up cities and airports, Google Y is looking at switching out passwords with biometric sensors and enhancing location tracking. What could go wrong? Uh, None of these ambitions seem to be taking commercial considerations into account, at least not at their outset, noted The Verge, though that could change if and when they move closer to reality. Although Google's uh, Google's become famous for its search engine and mobile Android operating system, it has spent considerable amounts of money to establish itself in other fields, including artificial intelligence, uh, including artificial intelligence. NASA is already using Google smartphones on robots at the International Space Station, and the company purchased an artificial intelligence startup early this year specializing in deep learning or the process of developing machines that can learn the same way as humans. Last year, Google also went on a seven-month spending spree during which it purchased more than half a dozen robotics companies, including Boston Dynamics, uh, a notable supplier of robotics technology to the Pentagon, and the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, also known, of course, as DARPA. Okay, so Google wants to build a city and they'd like to build airports. Uh, They are not interested in Elon Musk's technologies, obviously, like the Hyperloop and whatever. And honestly, I think a lot of that is uh, very much pipe dream as well. So, you know, I I don't really blame them there. Uh, Much of what Elon, Elon Musk has some great things to say, and I think he creates a lot of great interest in building a future. Uh, But, you know, by and large, I don't hold a lot of stock in what he does or, you know, what he even plans on doing. Uh, anyway, and it's, I mean, I don't mean like I, that I hold stock. <laughs> okay, please. I don't. Um, so yeah, so Google, why, uh, this is the plan. And of course, where are they looking to initially make improvements, uh, biometric sensors and enhancing location tracking. So they want to build a city that that's, that's a fact. Um, I am intrigued and what exactly will come out of this if they are ever going to actually even show anything. I think half the stuff. So Google, Google Y is again, this is Google X on steroids. Now, Google X generally has the idea of, well, in five to 10 years, you know, this is what we're going to, this is going to become the norm. Like that's their idea. Like they made Google glass. Google glass was part of Google X. Maybe it's not anymore, but originally it was. And of course that means that the plan was, is that within five to 10 years, when they devised Google X, uh, that Google, that Google glass or, uh, you know, when they device Google, Google Glass, not Google X, that within five to 10 years, this will be the norm. Everybody will be wearing Google Glass. OK. 
So now Google Y, I'm guessing, is planning on 15, 20 years, maybe, for it to be the norm. So you have a while before this kind of stuff comes out. Now, there's a part of this that I actually support to a degree, and that is, is that uh, according to this story, the one, actually the official one on the information, which I cannot link to for you, I'm sorry, uh, talks about how Larry Page actually dalliance with the idea of Gmail being a paid for service, being a subscription service and how a lot of what Google offers being a subscription service. Now, of course, Google Drive already is a subscription service. Google Play Music All Accesses, all of these things. Um, and because of that, you don't have to deal with advertisers. And Larry Page, it seems, did not want to deal with advertisers. And good. I say good on that. OK, I do not want you know that that's part of the problem that's one of apple's tim cook is making a whole bunch of strides right now with apple saying look you're you the customer are not our product our product is the ipad the iphone the macbook whatever that we sell you okay because we don't need your you know we, we don't need your information to make a shit ton of money you'll just buy our stuff and while that might be partly true i think he's fibbing just a touch but regardless uh, to say nothing of the fact that, you know, Google, <laughs> Apple makes like $2 billion off of Google uh, just just by having Google's search being the default. Uh, literally, they, they collect money from Google. And so, you know, even their rivalry is, is interesting to, to wonder about, you know, how, how strong is that rivalry? Um, but this city idea is all about efficiency in Larry Page's own words. OK. And how are they going to achieve that efficiency? Well, I think that makes it it makes it pretty clear because they actually said part of it would be biometrics, which is biometrics technology has been just shown to be crap over and over and over again, um, even though sometimes it may be better like touch ID for for iOS may be better than present implementations of security. I'm open to that. But by and large, it's not something you'd want to really trust with your life, in my opinion. Um, but the other way is through location tracking. And that's and this is the key here is that when these companies, OK, when they want to talk about doing efficiency, they are talking about quantifying you and your actions. And you can say, well, that's fine. That's a good thing. Uh, how about that? You know, why? Why isn't that? Why is this bad, Stallion? I'll tell you why. Because it's central planning at the end of the day. That's all it is, and that's all it ever will be. In fact, cities themselves, it's not ironic. It's, or it is ironic, I, I should say, that Google wants to build a city. Why? Because Google's entire platform is based around cloud services. It's based around the cloud. And let's face it, folks. Cities are the analog representation of the cloud. Think about that. Cities are the cloud and mass. They, they, it's what everything's based upon. And so if you have the opinion that the centralization of cloud services is a bad idea, apply that to the city, to a city structure. I'm not saying all cities are bad. That's not, that's not what I'm getting at. I'm just saying, I'm saying think about this. OK, I imagine the city will be incredibly efficient that Google wants to build. I imagine it will be a rounding success. But at what cost? At the cost of your own control? There's a great saying by uh, John Dvorak who said 
that, you know, this all this cloud computing, all this cloud stuff, it's counter revolutionary. Okay, it goes back to what IBM was trying to do in the 70s and 80s. And all it means in the end, this is John C. Dvorak's words, all it means in the end is a lack of control for the user. And what I'm saying is, is that if Google implements all their systems into a city, you will lose control. Just like you have very little control when it comes to using their services. In the end, or you have, you have, you don't have the control of what, of your stuff, of your docs. And you don't, you really, you, you don't have necessarily control. If, if a server goes down and your docs get deleted, it's over. Something to think about. I don't think this is a good idea. This is the Internet of Things on steroids. We're going to talk about a lot more of all this shit throughout the rest of this episode. I'll be back with more. Behind the wall of history, there is a story that has never been told. A story of a world that ended only to usher in the beginning of our own. This is a time that ancient tomes could only describe in metaphor. Prepare for the very first video game from Zomia Offline Games, Hypercronius. Hypercronius will allow you to experience a time beyond your imagination in a fully interactive 16-bit, two-dimensional role-playing experience. Hypercronius. Know the past, and you can know the future. From Zomia Offline Games. Hmm. Hello, Mr. Sovereign. Brian Sovereign. And yours? Natalia. Care to play a game of roulette? I'd love to. Number and color. 69. Black. As you wish. Tech Roulette. Ow! How <laughs> did you like that ad? Oh, man. <laughs> it gets me excited. It's my game. Christ. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I put that ad together. I want to get, you know, just just get the word out there that it's happening. Um, I would have put, you know, go to ZomiaOfflineGames.com at the end of it or something. But uh, that website is not ready yet. I am really working hard on figuring out what is the best way uh, to have that out there. I will probably be working with Namecheap, but we'll see. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, the game is coming and the official name was announced right there. Hyper Cronius is the name of it. And uh, when ZomiOfflineGames.com is up, you'll definitely get a lot more insight into what the game's about. And I really appreciate a lot of people uh, really enjoyed that ad. Uh, a lot of people have been very supportive and saying they can't wait to see what this game's going to be like. And they're really excited about it. I am too. I'm excited to be making a game. This is, this is really a passion coming to life. And so it's, it's really great. Anyway, with any luck, uh, you know, Google's passion won't come to life with their city. And, but, you know, if you want to do a little further research, I've mentioned this on Sovereign Tech before, but just go to Google.com slash ideas. And I think you'll find, because that's been around for a little while, I think you'll find that Google has been in the business of statecraft for some time. Uh, that this is not really a new vision of theirs, but it may be one that they've had for quite a while. And of course, Google I.O. 2013, you know, remember when Larry Page said, hey, 
I think there needs to be areas where the laws don't apply, where the rules don't apply. Now, granted, I don't want laws applying either, but you get a little scary when you consider the technology and how these guys want to implement this stuff. And remember, always remember, if it takes technology to solve the philosophical problem, you you never solved the problem. Uh, But let's move on. Let's talk about, I've got kind of a broad subject to talk about here because there was big news really big news this week about, uh, about Bitcoin. Now, of course I had, uh, I had announced uh, very early on that the Bitcoin and PayPal relationship was going, was going to happen before you, you could imagine. And within a week of me announcing that, you know, PayPal announced that they were going to be supporting a degree of Bitcoin integration. And now we're, we're starting, it's coming to light what exactly that all means. And it's really now for one day, this is when it was announced. I think it was on Tuesday, maybe, uh, when it was announced, when, when it was fully understood or not when it was announced, but like when it was, when it really came into the fore of how exactly it was going to work out more or less with Braintree, uh, you know, being a part of it and whatever else, um, that the, the price of Bitcoin did spike. It went from like 400 or maybe 398 up to 430 for like a day. Okay. And, uh, you know, some people sold out on that day and good for you (laughs) because, you know, nice move. Um, but then the price quickly went back down. And I think part of that was because of the simple fact that people realized, Oh, wait a second. This is actually only going to work for, uh, the purchasing of digital goods. This will not work for buying anything physical. This really won't help me out with eBay per se or some others. And so the hype kind of died down. But I want to talk about this, okay? And I want to talk about this overall and what it means with with every company because there's there's a lot there's a lot going on here, um, and a lot to be said. With the reason, the real reason, and apparently this had been going on for months, okay? That one report said that that you know BitPay, which is I think who well actually PayPal's working with a bunch of different companies BitPay, GoCoin and others uh that this this had been in talks for quite some time had been you know really hush hush uh and and had been going on um the thing is is nothing can ever really stay hush hush you you know people can always find stuff out i'm pretty i like to think i'm fairly good at guessing what companies are wanting to pull off um and of course i share all of those thoughts with you and and i think generally it's it's been a pretty good track record um no boast. I'm just saying, you know, that's one of the joys I get of doing the show is talking about these sorts of things. And I think the real reason here for why this is happening, and I've kind of said this before, but this deserves a lot more exploration is it is in response to Apple. It's also a response to Amazon too. They're always in, you know, always waiting in the wings. Um, but this is definitely in response to Apple pay, which is the name of you know, Apple's wallet. Okay. This is not, this has nothing, 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 nothing to do with PayPal saying, boy, that Bitcoin's a hell of an idea. No, no, get that, get that the fuck out of your head. That's just, that's not true. And I'll admit, I feel annoyed that I, I see so much, so many people in the Bitcoin community go, woo, yeah, we won. PayPal took Bitcoin. Yeah. No. In fact, the, I think the reason that they're only dipping their toes and that's all they're doing, the reason they're dipping their toes in Bitcoin is because there's a chance 
And what I mean by dipping the toes is you can only buy digital goods with it. It's not a, you know, totally across the board with the, with the PayPal service. Okay. Uh, the reason that is, is because if Apple Pay fails, PayPal has no reason to accept Bitcoin. If Amazon and Amazon, things like Amazon Coin and Amazon Payments and others, if you don't know what I'm talking about, please listen back to many episodes of Sovereign Tech. I bring up Amazon as often as I can because nobody wants to talk about how the fact that they are taking on everybody. Okay. Um, you know, the, the, this is it. They, they are just, if, if those things fail, PayPal will just, you know, do business as usual. Okay. And also, you know, I don't, just as a side note, I don't think people should be getting excited about PayPal with Bitcoin in the first place because PayPal, there are horror stories to this day. And I regularly tweet them long before I knew this news. Okay. Because uh, Violet Blue keeps a good track of it and I follow her. She's, she's awesome. Uh, and I, I'll retweet her stuff often where, I mean, people just report after report where they lose their entire business because PayPal just goes, you know, blows them out of the water for stupid reasons. I mean, this has been going on for years. PayPal isn't even a service I would want Bitcoin to be. It's not a service I even want to really deal with. Yes, you can send me donations via PayPal on the left-hand side of the page. Okay, but by and large, it's not something that I even care about. I did that as a courtesy. I set that up. And I appreciate people that donate to it, of course. But my point being is that PayPal is not, they are not the good guys. You want to be building systems around them. This is not a good thing. Yes, I mean, it's, it's good that, that there was the price bump and people got to make some good money. I, I am so happy for you for that. Okay, but please. But this is not a good thing. And part of the reason I think this is not a good thing is that everybody in the Bitcoin space is really wanting to, I mean, you just, you hear it all the time. Everybody's saying, Oh, the elusive, how do we get grandma to use Bitcoin? Oh, well, PayPal is going to help out with that. And we'll get that infrastructure out there and make that shit happen. Uh, first off, those companies are full of shit that they are interested in grandma using Bitcoin. No, they're not. They're interested in getting bought out or, you know, in just, just scamming people out of, a, out of a shit ton of money. They have no interest in grandma using Bitcoin. How do I know that? Because I'm an ad exec for one of the largest radio shows that can reach out to an audience within the demographics that these people are talking about wanting to develop their software for, and they don't want to advertise. If you don't get your message out to them, how the fuck can you expect grandma to use your service? She can't. She doesn't know it's there. Well, we'll just advertise on social media. Look, if grandma can use social media, she doesn't need a new interface. She could use Bitcoin straight up. You're a fucking liar. You understand? Don't tell me you're interested in getting Bitcoin used by grandma. But then I'll tell you, guess what, buddy? I'm not interested in grandma using Bitcoin either. I'm not interested in Bitcoin getting mainstream acceptance. I'm not interested. If you don't understand the philosophy behind Bitcoin, then you don't need to use it. It's not for you. And it has a set philosophy. It has serious anarchist leanings to it. 
Stuff we've talked about on this show before. And so let the anarchists use it. It's so funny because people are like, and, and my mind is kind of seesawed on this. I'll admit to that. Okay. But now I'm pretty well convinced. Look, everybody complains. Well, it's just drug dealers using it and, and you know, and all these vile people and, and all that stuff. Hey man, good. Stop treating that like it's a bad thing. Let it be. Let those people use it. Let the underground groups all over the world be the only ones that use Bitcoin. Because frankly, that's who it's for. It's for the people that the law is fucking day by day. If Bitcoin was meant to be this, you know, consumer, you know, this great new, uh, you know, consumer commerce experience then believe me, that white paper would have been a hundred pages long instead of nine, and the coding should have been a whole hell of a lot better. That's not what this is about. And then there's people who are going to come on, they're going to say, oh, you know, Bitcoin's just a technology. It doesn't have any politics. Shut the fuck up. Yes, it does. Read the white paper. It's political in its very nature. Quit the shit. We're not going to change anything by appeasing the consumer. That's not what this is about. It needs to be getting used for other things. More important things. And then, oh, God. I got other things I want to talk about, but (laughs) about this subject. But while we're here and then. You know, I mean, think about this. Okay, so so a lot of people are wondering, why is the price so low? Why is Bitcoin's price? Why did it drop so so drastically? Why is it staying at only, you know, 400? What's the deal? Well, Tim Draper, uh, of course, Tim Draper is not a guy that I have any real issues with. Um, You know, he's the guy that kind of created email marketing to some degree, uh, (laughs) amongst other things. He's a venture capitalist. He's uh, pushing the six state initiative for California. Tim Draper said, and he's the guy that actually bought all those government Bitcoins that were taken um, from, you know, DPR, however you want to phrase how that was done. Uh, Tim Draper said the reason that Bitcoin dropped in price was because there was a lot of hype about what it could do and people bought in. But then the infrastructure wasn't there to match the hype. And this is true. I mean, like that, that fact is true, whether or not that's what's causing the price. I don't know. Okay. Because fuck Bitcoin's price gets affected by, by bots. I mean, often enough. Right. Um, so anyway, so that's his theory. And he says that there's 500 businesses just waiting, you know, they're in development to come out. And once those 500 businesses, businesses are out there, then Bitcoin's going to hit 10 K. And I think his timetable was within like two, three years, Bitcoin's going to hit $10,000. Okay. So this is Tim Draper, a smart man saying this, whether I agree with them, that's another story. Okay. But let me tell you, those 500 companies that are being developed, I guarantee every single one of them is how can we get a person to go to Gucci and spend Bitcoin? It has nothing at all to do with getting Bitcoin more anonymous, which is a very serious issue that needs to be addressed. In fact, I don't want Bitcoin growing any further until it's more anonymous um, or Uh, What's another one? How about how do we get Bitcoin to work in Africa? Because people, you know, uh, one guy, there's a great episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin where uh, the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy interviewed uh, Richard Bose, 
And he went to Africa. He went to Kenya. He's like, we will bring you Bitcoin. Here comes the white man to bring you Bitcoin. And I like Richard Bose, please. I'm not making fun of him. And they didn't know what the, what? We can't use this. This is completely impractical here. And I agree it is completely impractical. Okay. People should be spending time. How do we get Bitcoin to work, you know, offline or to where it's not persistently online. How can we make Bitcoin work better in that way? And nobody's doing that. The developer teams aren't doing it. The businesses certainly aren't working on it. And the businesses can't work on it because the developers aren't working on it. Then how can the business people possibly be pushing for that sort of thing outside of perhaps, you know, dark wallet as far as the anonymity goes? And talk to the creator of dark wallet and he'll tell you that Bitcoin is absolutely fucking political in its nature. So anyway, I don't think Bitcoin is going to become the consumer wonder, even if PayPal wants it to be. That ain't happening. Apple Pay? Absolutely. Absolutely. That is, I, I predict incredible success for Apple Pay. I really do. Another thing that's coming out, Walmart, finally, after years of, of, of fighting this, Walmart is coming out with a bank. Most people don't know, I've said this a million times, most people don't know what Bitcoin is. Okay, they, they, just, they, they have no idea, all right? And, but do people know what Walmart and Apple are? Well, fuck yeah. Absolutely, they know what that is. Now, some people will say, well, yeah, but let's let's think about this. You know, we've got Walmart, uh, you know, Walmart, the people that go to Walmart can't afford an iPhone. Not true. They can afford a, an iPhone 5C or they can afford a iPhone 6C when that comes out. We have no announcement of that sort of thing happening. Prediction on my part. But when you get the iPhone 6C comes out and if Apple sells that baby off, you know, pretty much for free on a contract or for a hundred bucks or whatever, Apple Pay is just going to absolutely take over because it's a name. People know it. Now, people will say, well, Apple will, you know, they're going to be forced to, just like they said with Amazon, which is ridiculous, but they'll be forced to integrate Bitcoin or maybe that's what will happen. Bitcoin will just get integrated into Apple Pay. It'll be all right. No, 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 no. That won't happen because Apple's got another trick up their sleeve. Do you remember just recently Apple made the match made in hell that like literally because everybody thought hell froze over. What happened? Apple plus IBM. And what did I talk about weeks ago? before just about any other show other than GigaOM was mentioning, what did I talk about? Adept, which is IBM's blockchain slash BitTorrent, Internet of Things, security, communication, technology. The whole reason, you have to understand this, Apple was never going to let Bitcoin back into the game. And believe me, if, if Apple just cuts off Bitcoin, you've got a huge chunk of society that is not interested. Okay, Uh they they when they brought bitcoin back when they when they lifted those regulations that was because they had to find a way to allow adept 
to get brought into the Apple ecosystem, which was a blockchain technology at the end of the day. And perhaps, you know, it, it, and it would turn into too much of a legal. But you got to understand this. This had nothing to do. Apple wasn't suddenly like, well, shit, we're losing so many customers over Bitcoin. No, they weren't losing anybody over Bitcoin. They weren't losing anybody. Yeah, some people shot up their phones. Who? So what? Well, how many videos of that were on YouTube? Come on. Okay. They had to do this because of the legal issue it would have created if you have the open source. And again, open source, not uh, this isn't proprietary. The open source IBM ADAPT technology that is going to be a huge part of iOS 8's home kit. Where everything is connected through through an iOS device. Okay, so it would have created a legal morass if they allowed one blockchain tech and not the other. You know, and, and, and it just it would have been it would have been too much of a headache. That's what this is all about. Apple doesn't care about Bitcoin and you are not going to get people to care about Bitcoin. And I would venture it's not even worth your time to get people to care about Bitcoin. Because what's all right, let's go back to PayPal. What were the stipulations within the PayPal thing? It's like, we will make sure that, uh, you know, everything's if you're going to accept Bitcoin with PayPal, if you're going to accept Bitcoin as a seller, you got to make sure we're not you got to follow the anti laundering law, money laundering laws, all the stuff. There was these huge red flags of lines saying that, yes, we are accepting Bitcoin, but Bitcoin has now become part of, you know, the state. It has now become part of you know, the system that exists and all the legal crap that Bitcoin was designed to completely circumvent. No, welcome to the system, Bitcoin. You are now a part of it. It's another reason not to get excited about this. If you want to do something great with Bitcoin, work on the anonymity features, okay? Work on uh, getting it to work offline and work on how can we get it to the people that really need it. Ma and pa don't need Bitcoin. The people that are trying to gain freedom need Bitcoin or to do business, to do, you know, straight up business need Bitcoin. Stop trying to please people that are never going to see the light of what this is all about. I'll be back with more. We don't have to what? What do you mean you don't have to take your clothes off? What a bunch of sh Okay, okay, no, you don't have to take your clothes off to have a good time, but come on, we all want to, don't we? <laughs> I just, who, who writes lyrics like that? I can't believe it. Uh, anyway, let's get back to Sovereign Tech. You're a lucky man, Mr. Sovereign. Not many win so well at the game of chance. That's because it's not a game of chance, Natalia. It's a game of choice. <laughs> game of choice. It is time for game of choice. But before I get into this week's game of choice, I just want to make one more comment. Because I think a lot of people are going to come out and say, look, the dollar's going to crash. 
Okay. And when that happens, Bitcoin's just going to go to the moon and everybody's just going to run to Bitcoin. Okay. First off, if the dollar crashes, if it really crashes, like, and there's this, you know, economic collapse or some kind of bullshit, you know, along those lines, uh, Bitcoin is not really going to be usable because <laughs> a lot of internet services are going to go down. Okay. And unless you develop, like I mentioned in the last segment, you develop a lot of a stronger offline capability to Bitcoin or mesh networking capability to Bitcoin. I know there's some companies working on the mesh networking thing, but I think it needs to go beyond that. You need to figure out a way to get the blockchain to talk, uh, you know, to somehow re you know, reorient itself after it's been offline for a while. That's really where, where that solution has to go. Um, but look, folks, the dollar's not going anywhere. It's not. Okay. It might change names in the future or something, but you were talking about something backed by force. That plays such a huge role in the minds of every human being, be it from the richest to the poorest, the fact that it is legal tender. Okay. And I don't care what statistics, I don't care, you know, what, what, what ebbs and flows you want to talk about that money does and all this stuff. It all goes out the door when something's backed by the gun. Stop trying to legitimize Bitcoin. It's not for everybody. And I'd venture that anarchy isn't either, but we'll talk about that later. Um, this <laughs> game of choice. Let's get happy. <laughs> uh, Soul Calibur. Woo. This is one of the greatest games of all time. And somehow I had no idea that it got released on Android. It were really everybody. You, you completely failed me. I, I mean, how, how could someone not tell me? <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Um, but no, I didn't know. I knew it came out for iOS uh, a couple of years ago. And kudos to iOS for getting all those early releases. I love that. Uh, which is another thing, too. Boy, just look at that. Everybody knows if you want to make money, you work on Apple. There's another score for, for Apple as far as not needing what you are doing. Okay. Um, anyway, so... Apple, it came out for Android. It's already been out for Apple. Uh, it, it is the touch controls for a fighter. Soul Calibur, of course, is a sequel to Soul Blade. Uh, Soul Calibur is widely regarded one of, if not the greatest fighting game in history. Uh, and it is, you know, a tale of soul and sword eternally retold, right? That's the, that's the opening monologue. Uh, that's how much I played this shit. <laughs> Believe me, I've got it mem memorized. Uh, it sadly it didn't feature characters from the original uh, game, that being, you know, Soul Blade or Soul Edge, depending on where you played it, um, which was Lee Long. But there were some characters like Killick and others in, uh, in, in Soul Calibur that, that matched up decently well with that. But this is a great fighter, and, and it still holds up really, really well today. It still looks really good. Uh, it plays beautifully, I have to say, on my Kyocera, which has a Snapdragon 400 quad-core in it. It uh, does a hell of a job. So, uh, I mean, I just... Awesome. <laughs> you know, this is a grab game. Now... If you happen to have some kind of controller that can connect to Android or iOS, I certainly recommend you use that. The touch controls, while as good as they can be, uh, leave something to be desired if you want to get into, you know, a serious one-on-one -on -one match. Uh, and yes, this is just like Tekken or Mortal Kombat or, or Street Fighter, but, you, you know, of course, it's 3D like Tekken is, and sometimes Tekken characters make uh, cameos in the Soul Calibur games, which they still make these. I think we're up to Soul Calibur 5 now, uh, and they're always huge hits, but it's it's just incredible. You know, honestly, it blew my mind for two... I, I you know, 
powered it up. I, you know, I, tur- I, I got it going on my uh, on my Kia Sarah, and I just thought to myself, I was like, how am I playing this on a 4.7 inch screen? How, like, how am I playing this on a device so small? It really did boggle my mind because when this came out in '99, oh, forget it. You needed all the balls that the Dreamcast had to do that. Anyway, go check it out, Soul Calibur. It's a, a great play. I'll be back with you. Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. When I was in college, we spent a lot of time trying to understand what makes something obscene or against the law. At the time, the movie Deep Throat had been ruled obscene in 26 states. Nonetheless, it went on to make $500 million. Today, a movie about oral sex is far less likely to be declared obscene, let alone make a half a billion dollars. But the issue of obscenity remains every bit as fascinating. Take just one element of obscenity, that a work needs to violate a community's standards in order to be banned or declared obscene. While that made sense when porn was shown on screens in local theaters, what about today when porn is globally distributed on the Internet? Which community standards should apply? Let's say you're facing obscenity charges for running a website that contains anal or vaginal fisting. Should the community standards be those in San Francisco, where a member of a jury might openly enjoy fisting, or someplace conservative, where if a jury member were caught fisting, he'd claim that Satan had grabbed his fist and made him do it? And if the community standard is conservative, what if an analysis of internet browser searches shows that thousands of people in that conservative area are seeking out and watching this kind of porn? What standard applies? Ultimately, it will be up to the courts to decide. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. You are quite the man, Mr. Sovereign. Are you busy tonight? Natalia, if you'll excuse me, I uh, just received a very important email. Later then, Mr. Sovereign. Important email. It is time for Important Email, where uh, you can get in touch with me through the various channels available. SovereignTech at RiseUp.net, BitMessage, uh, which, by the way, the the winner of last week's, it was uh, Lara Croft and the Guardians of Light, uh, which there was a bit message challenge, more or less, to win that, the Steam code for that. Um, we did have a winner, and that has gone out to him. And actually, it's a guy that has used, used BitMessage for some time to get in touch with me and has really contributed heavily a lot to... Uh, you know, to, to conversations that I've had. In fact, he brought to light a lot for me as far as, um, like with the idea of, uh, of Apple creating its own bank, of course, Walmart's already getting into the business of its own bank. Like he had mentioned that, you know, Mitsubishi did this originally Mitsubishi was a bank and then it went into being an electronics company. And now interestingly, Apple is seemingly to doing the, uh, you know, the, the opposite to where they are an electronics company or a tech company that's going to, that may end up becoming a bank, uh, which is, uh, you know, I think is totally viable if this all gets pulled off. Anything's possible that it won't work. Uh, but keep that in mind. That's true for anything. That's something may not, may not fly. That includes Bitcoin. Uh, anyway, so let's get into, let's get into the questions here. And of course you can tweet at me too. One of these questions is actually from a, a great guy on Twitter. Um, and the first one is is in response, and I want to get, I want to do a few emails here uh, because the past couple of weeks I was kind of doing one long email, and so I, I want to get a, quite a few of these knocked out if I can. Like I said, next week's episode is gonna there's gonna be a lot of science 
uh, talked about, though though I've, I've heard from listeners that they enjoy it when I talk about science. Uh, and so the listener emails or the, the important emails during that episode will be more scientific. Um, but let's let's get into this. So we have what did you mean by not believing in property? Yeah, I was I had that long email from the guy from Ecuador and I don't not believe in property. I'm just saying that we there is a language fail. When you when you say the basis of property is based upon the fact that you own yourself, there's just a huge language fail there Um, and that I would not use that argument to describe property. Uh, You know, you absolutely have human autonomy. That is unquestionable. Uh, But then it becomes, you know, but then how do we describe property? And I think that's something that that deserves a whole hell of a lot of exploration because you certainly don't want to, you know, to base property upon the idea that you have a piece of paper or you even, if you have a, um, a blockchain notation that says something necessarily, you know, belongs to you, maybe that's not even uh, viable. So that's what I mean. I'm not saying that there isn't property. Uh, and I'm not saying you don't necessarily own yourself. I'm saying that there is a language fail. And when there's a language fail, I feel like there is a lack of understanding. Okay. So I'm a firm believer in human autonomy. But anyway, uh, so I I hope that that clears that point up. I also I made that notation. This is the great thing about SoundCloud. For right now, SovereignTech.com is the SoundCloud page. And and I I like it that way. Some people have critiques of that fact, but I like it that way. Um, And I may change it when as I'm developing the website for Zomia Offline Games. Um, But on SoundCloud, I put the notation underneath that because I recognize kind of how that sounded and I wanted to be more clear. Uh, so do check out the SoundCloud page. Again, you can just type in SovereignTech.com. I made it very easy, and you don't need to have a SoundCloud account to see it. Uh, do check out the SoundCloud page to see, you know, and some listeners, I have some great friends and listeners that bring up great points, very resourceful information on there. And, of course, all the show notes are available there as well. So do look at that. Uh, it's really a great resource if you have more, if you want more Sovereign Tech or more, you know, perhaps, you know, more understanding or more info. Um, okay. So then the other, this is the question that got asked on Twitter. Uh, could you use cryptocurrencies in games? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, one better, you could actually build games on top of blockchains and I'm not opposed to this. Uh, I think this is a really cool way to have it kind of a, a, an interesting unified gaming experience. And I'm going to give away perhaps a million dollar idea here. Okay. But if you base the game on the blockchain, um, you could get, you know, peer-to-peer real, t- not maybe not real-time, but more or less real-time updates to what's happening in a gaming world and, you know, in a virtual world. And you, you could react to it without needing, you know, this, this crazy infrastructure that pretty much made Sony Online Entertainment go broke by having to run all these servers so that the matrix online could run. I mean, picture that picture running the matrix online on a blockchain. And when instances occur, you know, it becomes a notation on the blockchain and then it could be verified and accessed by all the players. So certainly blockchain technology could mean great things for games. Uh, NXT is apparently there's been some, I don't know, there, there's some drama around it, but there was plans to build it on top of NXT. Um, of course, NXT also has the digital goods store, and my first game that I'm developing, Hypercronius, which will come out either December this year or March 2015, either or. It's going to come out either on Saturnalia or on Ishtar. Woohoo! Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Believe me, I, 
I put so much thought into every single thing I do. You have no idea. Uh, <laughs> like if you knew half of what uh, some of the, the things I do just on Sovereign Tech alone had meant. Uh, anyway, uh, sorry. Um, so, yes, uh, I will be releasing that game on the digital goods store. Uh, I will offer discounts for it getting purchased in cryptocurrency. But I know what you're saying, uh, you know, uh, Twitter follower, you're saying that, you know, could you just use cryptocurrency, you know, as the in-game currency, kind of like World of Warcraft's gold? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great idea. Uh, in fact, I think it's an awesome idea to, uh, in many ways, you know, skirt the banks. Uh, people were already doing this. This is why, and we, when I used to have this, the, the segment of Sovereign Tech um, called Game Talk, we talked about this, about how the NSA was actually, you know, sending people into World of Warcraft and these other worlds, you know, these other virtual worlds, and looking for, you know, terrorist, terrorism, uh, you know, actions and money laundering and all this stuff, because that's exactly what they do. It's, it's a great way uh, to transfer money. OK. And so, yeah, I, I think putting it into cryptocurrencies and it would also make the game a whole hell of a lot more fun when real money's on the line. <laughs> you know what I mean? Seriously, I, I think that that'd be fantastic. So uh, I totally support this. Um, there are some degree of coins out there that I think are trying to do this. Like there's Game League coin, GML. I think that that has tried to implement that. So it's an awesome idea that deserves a ton, a ton of exploration. I'm sure on BitShares, I'm sure somehow, you know, that, 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 that a, DA, a DAC or a DAO, whatever you want to call it, uh, could make that happen uh, interestingly well, you know, with that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, great, great question to ask. I, I look forward to it. And the, you know, kind of building a gaming world on a blockchain, I think, uh, would be an interesting experiment to see and you know, I haven't heard of anybody really doing that yet, but there it is. So let's see. What's another one? Uh, do you think there is a device that will come after the smartphone like the like wearables? Um, yes, I do. I want one. No, <laughs> but do I think there will be um, Ray Kurzweil uh, famously said that at, at a certain point, pretty much you're going to have smart cells and as in, you know, the cells within your body. And so what they'll do is, is they'll pretty much inject these smart cells into you and then your interface will be, you know, pr literally on your eyes, uh, you know, it'll be attached to your brain and whatever from the inside with nanobots, blah, 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 blah. Um, that's the direction that people seem to want it to go or are pushing for it to go. Uh, I do not support that direction. Uh, I think there, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in during HackSec maybe. But um, but like that emailer last week kind of talked about, I think there is uh, there's an interesting point between, you know, perhaps appropriate technology and uh, and high tech, you know, that there might be a line that uh, that that becomes pointless. I mean, so much so so many of these new technologies, like the whole Internet of Things idea on its own uh, is I would hope people would realize is just a terrible idea. And this actually speaks to a Google city as well. You take uh, what happened this week, and I'm waiting for a little more fallout before I talk about it deeply. Okay, but you take what happened this week with Shellshock or Bashbug, okay, which was they found out there's this like 20 some odd year bug in that that can run within Bash that will keep running, you know, really high level commands within the, the terminal, and if you use OSX or if you use Linux, you know what I'm talking about with Bash. Uh, this is, it looks like a DOS screen for my Windows users. Um, that, that can run, any, that can do anything and cause all kinds of malicious shit. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and it, it really, 
you know, when you talk about all this interconnected stuff, boy, you know, a lot of these technologies are advancing so fast, but nobody's taking the time to look at the code first. Clean up that code, you know, kind of like uh, Quinn Norton said, everything is broken. Yeah, well, let's let's get everything unbroken. You know, let's repair all the code that's out there first, and then let's push forward with these ideas. Okay, uh, I mean, a Google City, that's all it takes is one uh, one shell shock, you know, or, or uh, you know, uh, <laughs> bash bug, and your city shuts down. Or, hey, apply this to a blockchain. Ooh. What happens when a bash bug goes nuts on a blockchain? It's interesting because a lot of companies that have spent millions or even billions of dollars on, you know, Windows servers, they're sitting pretty right now, folks. There's no bash to be had. This makes such a great case for why you do not want centralized systems and you don't want standards either. So many people, especially in the Bitcoin space, keep talking about, well, we got to have a standard. No, no, do not have a standard and do not treat everything else like an experiment. Okay, so I don't want to talk much more about Bashbug until there's a lot more information out there and, and, you know, more of the fallout is understood. But suffice to say, Steve Gibson, who is a voice that I personally trust, uh, who does the podcast Security Now, which is a great podcast, um, he said this is way worse than Heartbleed by a long shot. And it's been around for 20 years. So, yeah, I'm not really interested in injecting technology <laughs> at this point in time. Um, it definitely makes the case for why people perhaps, you know, should learn code. Uh, I always loved the uh, there was kind of a story that went around, very popular story for a while that said, don't teach your kids another language. Teach them a programming language. You know, don't teach them a spoken language, teach them a programming language. I totally agree with that, uh, especially at the rate at which things are going. And I think it's important to point out, too, though, that, you know, as far as like wearables, I don't think these wearables are going to take off at all. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people, the people that spend big money on watches and things like that are going to realize a lot of the stuff are just tracking devices anyway, uh, more than anything. And they have even less control than they do over uh, over a smartphone. OK, um, but the smartphone, the cell phone in general is I really I compare it technologically. I compare it to the knife. It's just that perfect. You know, someone just figured it out that it's just that perfect of a device. Uh, you know, the perfect size, uh, the perfect, you know, utility, all of that. It really it really is. And so I don't think, you know, you're not going to reinvent the wheel. And smartphones really are the wheel. I think it is, you know, it is in a two degree smartphones and tablets too, even, you know, are really that, that kind of perfection. Um, I, and you know, I could be wrong. Maybe someone will come out with something, you know, far better, but I don't know how much difference you can make between an interface and, and not, you know, and it's not like, it's like, well, that's like saying the laptop will never get better. It's like, well, it probably won't. And honestly, touch technology has been around since the eighties. Even that ain't new. You know, it was just waiting for the time where it became useful to have a touch interface where the power of, you know, the device, you know, be it the CPU, GPU power, RAM and all that stuff could actually fit in an area where touch ability was worthwhile, you know, and practical. So, yeah, so I think there's there's things where it's just it, it's just not going to get better. You know, <laughs> I mean, and you can talk about, you know, like Astro Teller at Google X, how he says, like, we got to get rid of the interface. OK, 
But keep in mind, you know, just like I mentioned about hardware switches, you get rid of the interface, you get rid of what? Control. Real control. Personal control. Yes, fine. You know, Google will make sure that it keeps streaming down to you, but until Google turns the switch off. You know, I don't, some of this technology, I don't think you want to be trusting, you know, this stuff. And we'll, we'll talk more about that during HackSec. I, I want to move on. Um, I, but I don't think you want to be trusting so much to these companies when really you could do it completely on your own uh, or more or less on your own. Uh, let's see. What do you think's better? So, uh, so yeah. So with the wearables, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe people will go for the, the smart cell thing. That's definitely the direction where it's going. And I could see that is where people would get excited more so than these wearables. These wearables are, are nonsense. Even Apple's, um, uh, the Apple watch, I don't think is really grabbing a lot of attention from people. Um, Okay, so let's see. Do you think Google Now, Siri, or Cartana is better? Uh, which one do I think is better, I guess? So um, Google, Google Now, of course, I think most people know what Google Now is. Most people know what Siri is. Siri is like the personal assistant that talks to you on Apple. You can ask it a question, and it responds to you with a voice and says, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, and it collects data from whatever resources. Google Now does the same thing and does respond with a voice to some degree, not so much as Siri does. And then Cortana is Microsoft's new solution um, that that they've come out with, and they're kind of beta testing now to not really beta testing, but to some degree it's a beta test. Uh, and Cortana more so than like Siri is only on Apple. Okay, so that's kind of a flaw right there. It's not cross-platform. Um, that's a flaw in my opinion, but for Apple, it makes sense because Apple, part of the reason that their products often work so well, not always, but often work so well is because they build the software and the hardware. They have 100% total control of what they're doing. Apply that to your own life. Imagine if you had 100% total control, uh, you know, how much how much better things could be. Anyway, that's that's besides the point. Um, Google Now works on just about anything that can run Chrome, um, or has Google apps for it. So you can't use that on Windows Phone, of course. But uh, Google Now and Hangouts, you know, it, it's tough to decide where, where Google Now kind of stops. Siri, you understand. Google Now is so overarching, it seems. Um, it is really difficult because, I mean, Google Now can make phone calls for you. It can text for you now. Uh, it can do all kinds of things. Uh, Google Now, by and large, I suppose, might be the one that can do the most. Granted, you can't have a conversation with it so much like you can with Siri or Cortana, uh, but it is by and large what can do the most. Um, so in that way, maybe it's better. But I have to say, uh, and and there's 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 other people developing, you know, pretty much underlying technologies for Siri uh, that will make Siri a lot better. But really, that underlying technology that they're developing for Siri now. Uh, Cortana already does. And of course, Cortana is named after the character that helped out Master Chief in the Halo series. Um, unfortunately, it does not talk like Cortana. That would have been because uh, Cortana is kind of a, a sex symbol amongst uh, gamers. Uh, whatever. Make of that what you will. Um, <laughs> but I thought the hologram was sexy. I don't mind saying it anyway. Um, so Cortana really, in my opinion, that might be the best one. Um, it talks. It has inflection. It, it says, in fact, uh, I was listening to, um, I think I was listening to This Week in Google, and uh, Leo Laporte or someone on there was testing out Cortana, and they asked, it was so funny because they asked Cortana, uh, who is Bill Gates's wife? And Cortana responded from the smartphone, or, you know, from the Windows phone, and said, Bill Gates is currently married to Melinda Gates. 
And everybody just laughed. And I laughed too because they're like, currently, <laughs> you know, that's not good. <laughs> that's inferring Bill Gates is going to get married to somebody else, right? Uh, and so, but but that's the thing is that it would it would answer the question so naturally. Uh, it really did a great job, and you almost felt like you could have a real conversation with it, uh, to, you know, to to a degree. And it was it was impressive. I was blown away by how good Cortana was um, and the fact that Cortana is going to work really well uh, as far as a desktop implementation. I don't know how far that's going to go. It's definitely going to be a part of Windows 8 and Windows 9. And I might mention a little bit about Windows 9 in the next episode of Sovereign Tech because September 30th, they're doing kind of a big reveal. Um, I don't mind saying I'm a little excited about Windows 9. I look forward to seeing what it's going to be. I have no illusions about it. I know it's going to be the 7 to Windows 8's Vista. Uh, but anyway, so uh, Google now. But, you know, here's the problem with these, uh, you know, with, with these kind of personal assistant technologies. And you can see this anywhere. Like I was sitting at Free Talk Live and I had my Chromebook in front of me. And I don't, I think someone called in with a tech question and I started talking about Google and I used the phrase now and it powered up and it started recording everything I was saying. And it was doing a search. And I don't think what, what Google now responded with came out over the radio. Um, but this is kind of an issue that we're not really solving here. Uh, the Moto X, and of course the new Moto X came out, looks like a gorgeous phone. The Moto X uh, is, has always been trying to make Google Now more useful. And I suppose if you count the Moto X as part of Google Now, maybe then it's better than Cortana. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm just going to say that right now, the way things stands, uh, the, way, the way things are standing, Cortana is really the winner as far as these personal assistant technology. So great questions, everybody. Um, I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. Hey, everybody. It's Stephanie. I am the Sovereign Tech producer. But did you know I am also a voiceover artist? Yes, it's true. I make audiobooks, commercials for your business. I narrate explainer videos, pretty much any audio project that you can think of. I'm probably willing to work on it or I have worked on it in the past. And if you want to hear some samples of my previous work, or you want to find out a little bit more about what I do, then I encourage you to check out my voiceover website, which is smvoice.info, smvoice.info. Now back to Sovereign Tech. Agent Sovereign, go to this webpage and follow. What kind of webpage is this? Is that Natalia? I better go to the website of the week. It is time for website of the week, where I cover websites that are uh, interesting, useful, kind of take your pick there. <laughs> Sometimes they suck. Um, but this website is interesting, and this is a website that you wouldn't think runs all year, but it does run all year. Um, and it's an important one, in my opinion, because it deals with one of the most important subjects on the planet, and that is the control of information. Um, you may not know, but this past week, uh, before this episode's release, uh, and this is, you know, pretty much the last week of September, um, it was Banned Books Week. Okay. And so you can go to bannedbooksweek.org and you can find out all about this. And I think this is so important. Uh, to, to learn about and for it to get highlighted and to get talked about, because, you know, people don't realize this. There's parts of the world where a lot of books are still banned, you know, um, and even up until recently, there's there's continued. If anything, there are continued petitions, even by Americans to ban various books. 
Um, and again, this runs all year and, you know, there's, there's times to celebrate it. Uh, and it gives a lot of history about the subject and it is a fascinating, uh, subject. Uh, in fact, I mean, some, you know, up until pretty much early into the 20th century, I think even the Catholic church was still banning books. Uh, one of those, speaking of, we mentioned Bill Gates in the last segment, uh, one of those books that was banned was the master key system by Charles Hanel. Um, and I don't ban books week doesn't talk about this, but I'll talk about it. <laughs> and this is a book that was all about, you know, how to be really successful. And there is the theory or the urban legend, it may be true, but that Bill Gates actually got his hands because this book by Charles Hanel was so banned that, that uh, copies in the seventies would sell for hundreds of dollars sometimes even thousands of dollars. Uh, this was really a, and it, it's like this, you know, 24 week, or if you have a, a copy like I do, it's a 26 week uh, program that you kind of go through. Um, I won't say more than that. I'm not saying that what's in it works, but anyway, the theory goes is that Bill Gates bought, got his hands on one of these copy, uh, copies of, of this book of the master key system while he was in uh, Harvard and he read it and that this book was the reason that he became at one point pretty much the richest man on the planet. Um, so, you know, but this was a banned book by the Catholic church and, you know, pretty much a whole bunch of groups that it really held sway to where it wasn't getting printed again uh, until perhaps the, you know, the aughts or the late nineties. It was really one of those deals. Um, a lot of science fiction books have been banned before. Uh, in fact, you know, this is the Silk Road, um, you know, the, like not, not the historical one, the Silk Road as in DPR. Um, as in the Bitcoin marketplace, I actually, I bought stuff on the Bitcoin marketplace. Now I am a notorious teetotaler. So obviously I wasn't buying drugs. Uh, it's, it's okay if you do, I wasn't saying that. Okay. Uh, but I, I wanted to use the experience and there was a segment of the Silk Road. I don't know if it's still there, but there was a segment of the Silk Road that was for banned books and you could buy, you know, collections of PDFs. Um, and I, I, I think I've told this story before, but, um, but yeah, I, I bought a bunch of books on uh, Catholicism and Judaism actually, and the, the conflict between the two. Um, so, you know, it, I mean, it, and so that's the point is that yes, throughout the world, books are still banned and it seems ridiculous, but it's true. And it's so important that books are not banned because I mean, that's control of information. If you control information, you control everything. And, you know, now some people could say, well, you know, you, if electronic books are getting banned, who cares? They can just, you know, they can forcibly delete it anyway, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, that, that's, that's another subject. Anyway, this is something that really deserves a lot of attention. Uh, people should be aware of it, that it's still going on. Um, in fact, the, speaking of that, speaking of, you know, like, and I'm not knocking Catholicism per se here. Okay. But I'm just saying that there was a story, a very famous story. And I thought it was awesome where a girl in a Catholic school was selling books out of her locker, banned books out of her locker. This happens. This stuff gets banned. Whether you like it or not, you, I, I hope you understand. We talked last week about Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, you know, and the idea of the control of information and how information could become the arm uh, of an agenda or the state. Um, whether you like the information or not, I don't think anybody has the right to somehow control it, you know, and to censor it. And so, the, you know, these things need to come out now. You know, I'm shocked there isn't. I just want to say quick, I'm shocked at banned book, uh, banned books week uh, dot org that you, there isn't like a banned films uh, movement because there are films. In fact, the Serbian film that is in its complete cut 
is banned in the United States. Now, I'm just going to recommend to you, do not watch that movie. I did, and I'm sorry for it. I'll be back with my... Bombing the Narn back to the Stone Age wasn't enough for you. Then we heard it. The sound of something terrible being born. This is madness. Station 3 to Commander Ivanova. Centauri have launched a full-scale assault. Time has come and gone! It's our turn now! Two million tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and fall. Where dreams are born and die. Where war and hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. I don't know if I can get us away from that helicopter. Don't you have a gun? Oh, there's never a need for lethal force. I'll handle this. How did you do that? We'll be fine. A quick hack solves everything. Hack, sack. It is time for HackSec, where I cover stories that have to do with hackers and security, and we've got a doozy this week, and I want to get into it. But before I do, we've got to do our game of the week, our, our free game of the week challenge here, okay? And I want to do it one more time. I want to get people involved on, you know, with BitMessage, okay? So you got another chance if to get on BitMessage, and you can win a game. And this week's game is one of my favorites of all time. Galactic Civilizations 2, not 3, which is coming out soon, which is going to be hot as hell, uh, but Galactic Civilizations 2, okay? And so if you want, all you got to do is send me a bit message, and you can, you know, and you'll be entered in for the chance to win this game. Galactic Civilizations 2 is great. It is an epic game. This is huge. Uh, and one of my favorite things about it is you can win the game, the entire game. You can create a galactic confederation or whatever without firing a single shot. I love it. Um, so Galciv 2, Galactic Civilizations 2, that's you got your chance to win that this week um, if you bit message me. And of course, my bit message address is in the show notes. But let's get into our hack sex story. Now, this is a story that comes from, admittedly, it's a bit older. It comes from about a year ago. Uh, but I think it's very relevant right now. Uh, and, it, you know, its relevance is being shown more and more. It's definitely something it's an article. It's from August uh, of 2013. It's an article that clearly came out of, you know, the the post Odin revelations. I said that right. Uh, <laughs> uh, the post Snowden revelations. It's going to be a running joke on the show. I'm going to call it post Odin from now on. OK, uh, just so just so you're aware. Um, and this is the Internet. We're doing it wrong. It's from TechCrunch by John Evans. And I'll start reading. This week's Facebook ban bot went berserk. GitHub 
GitHub went down, and all Google services collapsed for a few minutes, taking 40% of the Internet with them. Remember all those? In fact, uh, like Gmail was down for a good chunk of the day. Um, anyway, or not, not a good chunk of it, but it varied for various people. Uh, anyway, but Gmail was down and people like, I mean, all, you know, all the world, all businesses stopped, right? Um, just another week on the internet. Then we love our decentralized services until they let us down. Bruce Sterling calls them the stacks, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, uh, and Microsoft. In his most recent, always riveting, state-of-the-world conversation, he wrote, In 2012, it made less and less sense to talk about the Internet, the PC business, telephones, Silicon Valley, or the media, and much more sense to just study Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, and Microsoft. These five, big five American vertically organized silos are remaking the world in their image boy doesn't that speak to everything we've been talking about this whole episode um and yes certainly like that's part of what sovereign tech is it's an analysis of these companies very often uh, as well as other things of course we go all across the board moving on uh that's done with bruce sterling's quote they don't want much those stacks uh, just your identity your allegiance and all your data just to be your sole provider of messaging media merchandise and metadata just to take part in as much of your online existence as they possibly can, and maybe to one day mediate your every interaction with the world around you, online or off. Other protostacks want to join their number. Once upon a time, Twitter was essentially an API. Then they became aware of the, quote-unquote, the increasing importance of us providing the core Twitter consumption experience through a consistent set of products and tools, end quote, meaning they want to be a stack. GitHub used to just uh, host Git repositories. Now it does issue tracking, project management, and more. Call it a specialized business stack for software development. And Yahoo is either a second-tier stack or a stack wannabe, depending on how generous you're feeling today. The essay, Android is Better, was all over my internet this week. It's money, quote, Most services I rely on daily are owned by Google. My world revolves around Gmail and Google Search. I could start listing Android features I adore, but this succinctly states why Android makes sense for me. The number of Google products I use each day boggles my mind. No other company has embedded itself this deeply into my life, end quote. Indeed, it's very convenient to live in a stack. It's easy, it's seamless, it's comfortable. And it means putting much or very nearly all of our increasingly important online existences into the hands of a few titanic megacorporations. It means relying on their benevolence, not just today, but for the foreseeable future. Remember back in the early days of Google Plus when Google started disabling users' accounts for violating Google Plus's astonishingly poorly thought, poorly thought out real name policy? Remember how betrayed those users sounded? Quick side note, Stallion here. Uh, Google actually, now, if you go for a Gmail account, you are not forced to have a Google Plus account. Even more proof that maybe Google Plus is uh, becoming something else or just going away. Uh, moving on. They believed in Google, and then Google turned on them, just like it recently turned on and banished people who wanted to run their own servers, or in other words, wanted to build their own personal nano stack. Links in the show notes for all this, what they're talking about. But life inside the stacks is so much easier, so much better, so much more comfortable than life in the untracked wilderness outside. Better to live amid the comforts of city-states ruled by benevolent tyrants than to have to hunt your own food, make your own camp, and maintain your own mail servers amid the beasts and bandits and the trackless wastes outside their walls. 
That's why the hackers who want to jailbreak the Internet will never be more than a curiosity, right? That's why App.net, which really wants to be a stack itself anyway, just a classier one, uh, only just hit 1% of 1% of the population of Facebook. App.net's pretty much dead now anyway. Uh, after it introduced a free tier. That's why new initiatives like Trist, a secure and distributed blog platform for the open web, which is raising money on quick Kickstarter, will never get anywhere significant, right? These online anarchists, these idealists, don't just claim that people should control their own data and where it lives and who's allowed to access it. They claim that people want to. They claim that people don't and shouldn't trust for-profit megacorporations. They claim that client-server stacks are only big because they're good for business, while really, in a pure, true, noble world, untrammeled by money and capitalism, everything would be purely peer-to-peer. Unfortunately, these claims are nonsense. Webmail is inherently insecure, and yet among a group of those people most aware and most uh, perturbed by this uh, fact, the clients of Silent Circle's recently shuttered email service, that's the one Edward Snowden used, 98%, this is a quote, 98% of Silent Mail customers opted to set to let Silent Circle hold the encryption keys, which made using the service much easier. When users manage their own keys, they have to log into a special system to exchange cryptographic keys with each person they want to email with, end quote. Most damning at all, look at GitHub. It's a great site, great service, great business. I use it every day, but its name and very existence are also, in a way, fundamental oxymorons. The sad truth is that the overwhelming majority of people, including highly technically capable people, don't want peer-to-peer protocols. They don't want to own their own data. They just want ease, convenience, someone else to take over and take care of their data problems. They want stacks, mostly. However, there have been a couple of odd and interesting exceptions. Consider Skype. It was brilliantly peer-to-peer for a while. But a few years ago, it turned to centralized servers, not its principal architect, uh, not its principal architect maintains, to make surveillance easier, but because in today's mobile world, where any given node is likely a phone with limited battery bandwidth and processing power, peer-to-peer protocols are less effective. But is that only a temporary truth? Might they raise their Hydra heads again in five or ten years, even when phones can serve as super nodes? Consider Bitcoin. Most of all, consider BitTorrent and the hundreds of millions of users it has distributed swarming protocol. It is the anti-stack. It is immensely popular, and it is a sign that another way is possible. Might the city-states yet be overrun by con-like nomads? Woo-hoo! Please. That's me saying that, by the way, Golden Stallion. Might you one day only need to install a StackSeed app on your phone or computer in order for it to become a node in one of several ever-shifting peer-to-peer clouds, stripping, you know, multiple copies uh, or striping multiple copies of your encrypted data to a motley crew of other member services flickering chaotically around the inter- around the planet like weather? Think made safe? Yes. Golden Stallion's jizzing in his pants right now, just, just reading this poetry. Hmm. Maybe. But only if somehow ad hoc encrypted peer-to-peer services become as seamless and easy to use as today's stacks. It seems unlikely, yes, but look at Skype, look at BitTorrent. It doesn't seem inconceivable. Maybe, just maybe, the reign of the stacks will be temporary after all. And that is, uh, that is just such a, such a beautiful commentary um, on that. It, it really is, and it is proof that we can have an internet that does not require to be funded by advertisements 
or whatever. Unfortunately, now last week I talked about Deluge and how it uh, it doesn't have the ad that like uTorrent keeps running in it. And so obviously it seems like BitTorrent doesn't seem to understand its own capability um, or it's just trying to stay afloat or whatever. And of course, BitTorrent has its own new uh, you know messaging system out there called Bleep and whatever. Anyway, but the technology itself, this whole peer-to-peer thing, Uh, I think this is really the future and it's the direction you honestly have to go if you want to get away from things like the NSA ever happening again. But it goes farther than that. I think this brings to this article for me brings to four one thing. And that is, is that there are people, many people that just don't care. And this is my point with Bitcoin. Don't bother Make it, in my opinion, don't bother making it easy. That's not the problem. The problem isn't ease of use. The problem isn't necessarily adoption. The problem is, is you got, it has to mean something to somebody. BitTorrent is not that simple. As hard as people have tried, it's not that simple. People know what BitTorrent is because they wanted it so badly because it was like, holy shit, free entertainment. They are all over it. Okay. You've got to tell people why they want it, making it simple, taking your time, uh, you know, make it better, make it work better. BitTorrent works so goddamn well. That's why people use it. Okay. You've got to make things work well and show them why they want it. Don't bother making it pretty. Let it get the adoption. Worry about that later. Okay. And then everything, you know, maybe will will fall into its place, but I think it's important to, to point out. That a lot of people, look, they just don't care. Stop preaching to them. They don't care. You use the technology. You want it, you use it. And then you're happy, which is what it's really all about. And then you have your privacy, which is the only privacy that you should want to control in the first place. Because if you're too, if you're so busy pushing global commerce and all these, you know, and global technologies and all that stuff, really at the end of the day, I wonder, are you just pushing your way of life on other people and telling them how you want them to live? I wonder. This is an invigorating read. Go to the show notes and read it again. It's awesome. But we don't need to make things simpler. Hey, everybody. I really appreciate all of you that listen to Sovereign Tech. I hope you have as much fun listening to the show as I do making it. And hey, if you have a good time listening or learn something from listening, you can donate to the show. Just look in the show notes at SovereignTech.com. There you'll see uh, addresses for Bitcoin, Blackcoin, Next, Litecoin, whole slew of ways to donate to the show. And believe me, I'm not going to complain if you only send two millibits or what equates to two dollars unlike some people but you know also you can donate via paypal using the affiliate links on the left hand side of sovereigntech.com and oh yes please feel free to use those affiliate links you can also help the show by circling me on google plus following me on twitter or following sovereign tech on soundcloud anything you can do to help believe me it helps so i love all of you and thank you so much for listening now let's get back to more sovereign tech Well, looks like we made it out of the country. Good driving. Let's find some place to relax. Somewhere with a nice big bed, I think. Let me pull up an app. Sounds good to me. Software of the Week. It is time for Software of the Week, where I talk about software that I find uh, useful. Um, sometimes it's software that's, that's terrible. Uh, though, you know, honestly, a lot of the a lot of the software I've ever talked about in the past that has gotten terrible, 
Um, it, it's it's really some of it is right in itself. Uh, Hangouts has gotten for what it is. Hey, this isn't like, you know, privacy du jour here. OK, uh, but Hangouts for what it is has gotten a whole hell of a lot better. There was a huge update recently. Um, now you can make phone calls within Hangouts. It has its own dialer system, uh, its own app for that. Even it's uh, it's really something Um very impressed by that. So I will no longer, cause if I know some, some new listeners are really going through my back catalog and you get to see how my opinions have, have grown over time. I mean, cause it's, you know, it's been, it's been some time now <laughs> and you know, opinions can, can change or get refined. Um, I like to think they're just refined and, uh, yeah, hangouts is, is definitely not on the, the ugly, on the ugly list anymore. Um, Foxit is still on the ugly list and iTunes will probably never get off of the ugly list. Uh, as much as I, you know, I gotta say, I am really, I'm, I'm dying to see what Apple's doing as far as the iPads by the end of the month. Uh, I'm really interested to see how those are going to look. I, I think that is a, a, just a gorgeous device. Um, anyway, and you know, iTunes is a part of that, but now they're, they don't even have to talk to each other anymore. Um, this software of the week this week is HexChat. Um, HexChat is pretty much the, the only, it's not the only, but it's by and large, the mainly, the most highly de- still developed IRC client out there. Um, and IRC of course is internet relay, uh, chat. And this is something speaking of, we were talking about in the last segment about, you know, technologies that people could use. Uh, now, IRC still, you know, takes its time on various servers here and there. Um, but this is definitely, if you're looking to get away from Facebook, Google Plus would, you know, it's up to debate if it's just morphing or dying or what. Um, and maybe you don't, you just can't do the 140 characters of Twitter. Um, really, the kind of the original social media platform, you know, was chat rooms. And they were good at what they do. That's why they're still around as to where things like MySpace have gone the way of the dodo. Um and I love IRC. And in fact, there is an IRC channel for Sovereign Tech. Uh, it's, the, it's on Freenode, which is one of the servers that you would go to. And HexChat does a great job of guiding you through this whole process, getting you set up with a username, uh, the, you know, the whole business. Okay. And so uh, there, is a, there is a Sovereign Tech channel on Freenode. It's called the Sovereign Balnea. Of course, it's S-O-V-R-Y-N-B-A-L-N-E-A. Okay. And that's in the show notes. You can find that in the show notes. Um, and, you know, I, I haven't been that active on it, uh, but honestly, now that I have the ThinkPad, I don't really see a whole lot of reason not to be so active on it. So um, I've been hanging out in the room quite a bit, and I see a couple people come in and out here and there. Uh, I don't really necessarily have the time to chat with people so much, um, but, you know, we could set something up. I, I would love to, um, you know, I'd love to, to somehow, you know, set that up with the Ustream and maybe do like a, a live Sovereign Tech one of these days. I, I keep talking about it, but uh, I really should do it. And, and you know, we... We could talk about these things. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I love IRC. I think it's a direction that people really should, you know, there, there's actually a, a phrase out there that says IRC is the new black. And uh, I think that'd be cool. I, I, I really, again, I really like IRC uh, for, for what it does. Um, now, there is, of course, a saying that, yes, the NSA is watching IRC pretty heavily, but IRC is so easy to just mask yourself with you know, using a whole bunch of different services. I mean, you can access IRC, you know, running I2P in the background, uh, Tor, uh, really you take your pick, you know, on, on a VPN or something. I mean, there's just, there's plenty of ways. I think your anonymity is, 
it's one of the best ways to really guarantee as much as one can guarantee one's anonymity is through using IRC. It takes some work. You need to read up on that. Okay. And there are a couple of flaws out there. I know, but I'm just saying that in comparison to pretty much every other cross platform product out there, uh, IRC is one of the best. And, and again, hex chat's really good. It's still very widely developed. Uh, people still work on it. There's new versions all the time, which is really important when you consider, uh, you know, various security issues that keep coming out, uh, like, you know, bash bug and, and, uh, you know, Heartbleed. not saying that those would necessarily affect IRC in particular, but, um, but it's important for something to, to continually be developed. I mean, there's some software that just does what it does. It does it really well and you can use it till the end of time. Um, you know, say it's a software that's like 10, 20 years old, but, um, but it's good. If you can have something that's continually updated, that's a great thing. And hex chat's really the one and it's totally free and it's open source. Uh, again, great community behind it. Very simplistic. You do with IRC, you have to learn some commands, but even, and this is one of the things that really impressed me with hex chat is when you log on to whatever node you're logging onto, like free node, or, you know, you take your pick. Um, Hexchat does a great job of telling you what commands you might want to run next. Uh, so it, it's really slick. I've mentioned Kiwi IRC in the past, which is a website you can go to, and that's like really basic as far as getting on IRC, which I rec- you can use that too. Um, but Hexchat, if you want a full client, uh, this is the one I recommend for getting onto IRC. And say hi to me in the Sovereign Belnea. I think my name is Mythos81. I've had it for eons. I'll be back with more. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Natalia. Oh, oh, it feels so good. I'm so close. I know what you need. The Climax. It is time for The Climax, where I talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. Uh, And I am doing a part two uh, of, you know, of of, uh, what I talked about last week which was intentional communities. Now I have billed intentional communities as being what I consider one of the few real paths to, to having an anarchist society or to having personal freedom. Uh, and they are not, those two things are not part and parcel. Uh, they are not, you know, one and the same, um, but they can certainly coexist with each other very well. Um, and, I wanted to talk, there was more to talk about. I mentioned, I talked about the Waldensians last week and how they, you know, really they existed with their own culture, not being bothered for hundreds of years, uh, just by, you know, leaving the cloud or should I say the city or, wow, I I get those confused. (laughs) Um, you know, just, just by getting away, you know, going off to the mountains, um, and there's a lot of historical precedent. In fact, there's a great YouTube video by a guy that is not so, shall we say, ethically inclined, but whatever, um, that I'll, I'll link to in the the appendix of the show notes that you can find at SovereignTech.com. There's a video about, you know, like how historically people always have sort of run to the hills to keep society 
from controlling them, and that there is a lot of historical precedent for that. Uh, in fact, for those that don't know, um, Zomia Offline Games, it gets its name from uh, an area much like that, where it's an area in, in Asia that is uh, just a thorn in the side of the governments there, because these people live a kind of a nomadic life, and they live up in, you know, in, in the Himalayas or whichever. And it's in the area is called Zomia. Uh, and they can't tax the people. They can't. I mean, China can't do anything about them. None of these countries uh, that are decently developed. They, they I mean, it's just it's an, an annoyance to them. Same thing is happened in Canada, uh, where there's, you know, there, there's native tribes up there that just, you know, when when the Canadian government comes up to them and says, hey, you're, you're not following this law. You're not paying this tax. They say, so the fuck what? Who are you? We were here first, you know, or, or we're already here. Get out of here. And the Canadians really can't do much without having this, uh, you know, terrible, uh, honestly, <laughs> you know, this uh, this this black mark of public relations on their part. And so I want to talk more about this. And actually, that leads up, speaking of those tribes in Canada, um, that leads to a very interesting point in that there's obviously, you know, not that the not that Canada has this grand military in comparison to, you know, like, say, the U.S., um, but the fact that they won't do anything to these tribes and part of it is, is because, you know, these tribes aren't violently reacting to them coming there. They're just saying, get out of here. You know, we, we're not going to, and they're, they're just, they're not complying. They're, they're practicing non-compliance. Say, we're not going to be part of your system. Don't bother. And because they are nonviolent in their interaction and because, you know, I mean, and, and I don't know if this is true, but I think this is something that needs to be seriously considered. I'm not saying that this is a catch-all. I am describing to you with this and talk about with talking about intentional communities. I am describing to you some of the ways that I think an intentional community could come into existence and how it could work and why I think that it's one of the really viable options uh, for, you know, to, to achieving an anarchist society. Uh, that's the whole point of this, because, you know, I don't think. I just I don't think the whole world is ever going to accept it. It's just like we were talking about during HackSec, where, look, there's people who just want the ease and convenience. They're not going to do the work. They're not they're not going to go. They're not going to take the time. They're not willing to, you know, go through maybe perhaps. I mean, and I don't want to put hardships on people, but they don't you know, they may not want to go through the hardships that it takes to really have some serious liberty in their life. Okay, and, th and that's just it. I mean, what are you going to do? How, you know, how are you going to convince these people if they don't if they're not convinced by what goes on? Uh, you know, this is something I talk about with like 9-11 truthers. Look, fuck 9-11 truth. If these people don't accept that the government is completely invalid and and sadistic by what they do out in the open on the news day by day, you're not going to convince them with 9-11 truth. It's nuts. Anyway, my point being is that I think. You really have to, if you don't have, and this is just my opinion, this is not, if you want to go build your intentional community and please go do so, okay? It's just like New Earth Nation, you know, they're doing that, or you have the quiverful families that the Christians are doing where, you know, they're living by their own rules within whatever country they happen to be in. Okay, you go ahead and you go do that. I'm just talking about what I think works, right? So, you know, one of the things I think that, that that an intentional community would have to have to really succeed and not fall to that bad PR or have the tanks roll in or something is to have an absolute respect for human life and pretty much say, no, you know what? We're not going to kill anybody ever. It doesn't mean you can't have guns for hunting or something like that. But I think, I mean, and this is just my opinion. 
take it easy. It's my opinion. I am not starting a cult, blah, blah, blah. Fuck it. I'm just saying, okay, that I think one of the, one of the really easy way, you know, you have agent provocateurs that fuck with this stuff. Um, and I mean, and I worry, you know, with New Hampshire, that's kind of an intentional community. I think that's too large. Um, that doesn't mean don't come for the Free State Project. Believe me, it's it's pretty relaxing to be around people, uh, you know, so many people that, that love liberty. Um, but I, I think that's even too large from what I'm talking about to maintain. Um, I worry because there's a lot of people here who are, I think they're just waiting to pull the trigger, the literal trigger. And uh, that concerns me if they ever actually achieved secession. You know, if New Hampshire, if the Free State Project ever actually achieved secession from the United States. Um, because it just, it'd be too fast to turn it into a very ugly situation as to where if your consistent rhetoric, uh, and genuine belief perhaps is that, no, we don't believe in humans dying. Humans don't always, you know, even when perhaps force lethal force is justified, that doesn't mean it has to be used. Right. And I'm not saying there's ever a time where I think lethal force is justified, but that's just me. Um, so yeah, so let's talk about that, about the size of, of such a community. Um, I, yeah, I really, I don't think it could really go past the, the Dunbar number. And even that might be too huge, uh, because one of the things that one would have to do with an intentional community, I think would be a lot of serious filtering. You know, uh, you, you'd have to really know these people to know that you, that, that you'd want to, to live with them because I mean, anarchy is so overarching. I think we've talked about all different things. You know, there's so many IS, there's so many isms, so many ISMs, uh, you, you know, that, that I think encapsulate being able to really handle, uh, you know, having a peaceful society. Okay. Uh, and you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's only a few people that, that totally get all that doesn't mean other people can't learn it, but, uh, you have your own taste of what you want your society to look like. And I think to be able to, you know, and, and not just you, but it could be, you know, it's a group of you. That's why you're going to have your own little, you know, your little intentional community somewhere. Okay. Um, you know, you know what you, you guys and gals know what you want. And but to keep it that way, you know, I mean, there's kind of there, there has to be that that union of egoists, that agreeance. And I think that that just falls apart when you get into extreme numbers. So the Dunbar number might even, you know, might even be too high for uh, for a real um, intentional, you know, community. Uh, and I think, you know, a good example to, to look at this is the idea, and I kind of mentioned at the end of the last episode, was Isaac Asimov's foundation, where he knows that the empire is crumbling or that everything's just going to go to shit and people are going to start going nuts at each other. And so uh, Henry Harry Selden runs off to, to the planet Terminus. And believe me, boy, wouldn't that solve everything if we just had spaceships? Then we could have real intentional communities, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, they run off to Terminus and they just they they rescue all human knowledge as best as they can, which I think is a very laudable goal for any community to do uh, and very easy to do with with modern technologies, very sustainable technologies at that, um, you know, not relying on the cloud, but actually doing local storage and things of that nature. Um, and that way, you know, there's always that kind of, you know, society that that can that can move on. Um and, you know, from from whatever collapses uh, occur in some some degree of collapse. I know I said earlier how, look, the, you know, the dollar is never going to be worth anything. Um, that's true. But I mean, that doesn't mean new warlords wouldn't necessarily come in. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, to survive that sort of thing and, and to just have, you know, your own peace, uh, then, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, store up as much knowledge as you can. I think that's a great thing for an intentional you know community to do so. 
those are some of my thoughts on it. I mean, and you got to have that redundancy, 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 redundancy on everything. I think trusting any kind of like centralized, you know, look at the world today. I mean, so many people are a lot of people are really aware to the benefits of having decentralized technologies. And of course, and, and, and going beyond that, just decentralized, I'll say social structures. Um, you know, just look at that and, and apply that. And, and really, I think when you get to the end of that and you find other people that get to the end of that, uh, you can have a pretty good understanding of what you want your intentional community to look like and how you want it to work um, as far as these things. And, you know, there's really advanced technologies out there that, you, you know, no one's saying that you go off somewhere and you start your own little intentional community. Maybe if it's even on a boat like the Seasetting Institute or something that you have to live without computers or that you're living some kind of, uh, you know, paleolithic life. Might not be a bad idea to go with the Paleolithic diet. That's another story. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, you know, that, that's not, that's not what anyone, anyone's advocating. I don't think anybody that pushes for intentional communities, you know, or, well, I shouldn't say that there are lots of intentional communities that do push for that sort of thing. Um, but this is not a uniquely anarchistic idea. Like I, I mentioned earlier, there's new earth nation. They're pushing for this kind of thing too, where they're just going to have communities that exist pretty much just outside of the system all over the world, very various pockets. Like I described, there's just various pockets, um, you know, where, where this is done. So, but unlike them, I think that one of the, you can look into the new earth nation if you want. Uh, I don't agree with everything they have to say. And so thus I'm not going to be a part of their intentional community, <laughs> but, um, you know, one of the things I think you, you really have to like, keep it quiet. Like I, I, I you want it, you just want to be so under the radar, um, with this stuff, you know, and, and there's no need. I mean, if you're getting all the social, that's the point of the intentional community. That's the point of coming to the free state project is to get that, uh, you know, I think that emotional connection with other people that, that think as you do. Um, and I, I think it needs to be, you know, relatively secret and, you know, just go off somewhere and it could be anywhere. It could be absolutely anywhere, you know, and, and just, just stick with, with some of those ideas. And, and I, I think it would end up, you know, being fine. And, uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how much more I really, I want to say on it. Um, again, this isn't something where you have to go off and live in this entirely self-sustainable thing. I mean, you could just go up North, you know, somewhere and still to some degree kind of, uh, for lack of a better phrase, feed off the system, but just enjoy that genuine emotional connection and, you know, get, get that freedom however you can, whatever it takes. You know, if you can find areas where the, the tax burden is nil or, you know, just significantly lower or whichever. And this is happening all around the world. People are realizing this. And since you have various technologies and technologies that are up and coming that will still allow for connection outside of groups, even though you really want technology that, that works for the group and the group alone. Uh, you know, you can still reach out and find new people or whichever, you know, how, however that all that all works out. But I think I really think this is this is it. This is kind of how you can have some genuine freedom. And maybe it's only two people. Maybe your intentional community is only two people. That's OK. Uh, but I, I think this is the area that needs to be explored. Trying to change the world trying to code and you know fix the world with code and stuff like that um just ignores what really needs to be worked on and that's yourselves inside you know not the outside you're never going to i don't think you're going to change the world in that direction you know, the only way you're going to do that is by working on yourself and you know perhaps inspiring others in that way anyway that's it for this week 
Um, I've got a great special, a fun special coming out this week. Totally fun. Don't take it too seriously. And uh, then I'll have other specials coming. See you at Coins of the Kingdom. Carpe Lucem. I'll see you on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution. Evolution.